If you will, please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 100. At the very beginning, um, typically I, I welcome our guests, but today I, I want to um, sort of point out a special guest, and that's um, uh, Gerald's father, uh, Pastor Roger Collins. I was a bit nervous coming to service today. Um, and some of you might be wondering why. Well, it's because um, in more ways than one, um, Pastor Roger Collins uh, is responsible for me being up here. Um, not because he told me about the job. That's, that's sort of, you know, that's, that's point number one. Um, but I do remember when Theresa and I went to um, Mississippi, um, and we were told uh, to go to uh, Pastor Collins' um, ministry and, and church. Uh, I remember he faithfully uh, brought us um, every Wednesday um, he would meet with Theresa and I and um, opened up God's word and, and ministered to us. And it was uh, an incredibly formative time in my life and um, in my ministry and uh, this is the first time he's ever been in the worship service, I think, um, here, and, but in general, um, even when I ministered at McElwain, he came and preached at my um, ordination ceremony. This is the first time I've had him in the worship service uh, at a place that I've ministered to and opened up the Word of God. And so I, I wanted to say publicly how much I appreciate you. Um, you've been, uh, even Theresa mentioned this yesterday, you've been a father to us and Sherry a mother and so wanted to publicly acknowledge that and say thank you. Thank you so much for your ministry toward us. Um, this morning, I, we continue our series um, in the summer uh, in the Psalms. And we talked about how the Psalms are like um, a guide for the soul. This is sort of the medicine chest of the soul, if you will. And how the Psalms have everything in it um, that is good for life and for ministry. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 100. And Psalm 100 is, is a special psalm, and it has a, a deep connection and place within the psalms. It's kind of like the pinnacle of the worship psalms. If you look, for, look at Psalm 95 all the way up to Psalm 100, these are worship psalms. And Psalm 100 is the pinnacle of that. And this morning, I want to do something kind of cool. I want us to, to sort of honor this psalm by saying this to one another. This psalm is uh, constructed around seven imperatives, right? Several commands that are not just commands in its, in its natural sense, but these are more exhortations, and they're meant to be said to one another. So here's what I want you to do. Humor me. I'm the pastor. Please stand up. And here's what I want you to do. I, I think this is so cool. I've, I've often say, I wish we did more of this in the church service. And I want you to, to kind of turn slightly towards one another, stand if you could, the, the other way, the other way. So if you're um, on this side, face the people here. If you're on this side, face the people here. And I want, I want those on my left to say verse 1. And then those on my right, I want you to say verse 2. Then those on my left, verse 3. Those on my right, verse 4, and then we say verse 5 together. Now remember, this is an exhortation toward one another. So, you know, you got you to gotta kind of say it out a little bit. I'm not saying scream, um, but, but you got to kind of say it out a little bit because we are encouraging one another 
to worship. All right, everybody ready? All right, let's start over here. Let's do verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Everybody together. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you that indeed we can say this toward one another and encourage one another in the task of worship, that we can exhort one another to make a joyful noise, to serve you, to come before your presence uh, with thanksgiving, to, to know that you are the Lord, to enter into your gates to, uh, to give thanks to you, to bless your name, all because of the fact that you are good and your steadfast love endures forever and your truth to all generations. This is what you have called us to do. And because your faithfulness is toward all generations, all generations are called to worship you and to come before you. Thank you that we're able to do that this morning. Thank you for your goodness and grace toward us. Bless us now and encourage our hearts as we come before you and worship you. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. 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 Thank you all so much for doing that. And I hope that's a grace to you. I hope that you practice that to yourself where you read God's word and be encouraged. Read it aloud and be encouraged by what's in it. Um, I could officially call myself a southerner now. I've been in the south. Uh, You know, thank you. I got the plaque, right? And, and one of the awesome things about being in the South, I know be living in the South has some challenges, but one of the awesome things about living in the South is there's, there's a specific Southern culture, you know what I mean? And, and sort of as I look at being in the South, the three things that seem to be a part of Southern culture is, is the hospitality of the South, you know, the food of the South, and of course, our, our religion, you know? And, and by way of, of the hospitality, you know, Southerners take hospitality seriously. Um, you know, my, my uh, wife, I almost said my mother, but I meant my wife. My wife often said, Dennis, we need to keep the house 10 minutes ready. You all know what that means? Um, that means that at any given moment, you need to have the house uh, cleaned within 10 minutes so that guests can come. And um, the hardest, uh, sort of the hardest labor throughout the year for me is the day before we have guests, you know, because I'm doing everything. We're moving stuff around, we're cleaning stuff, cleaning the bathrooms, because we're preparing for guests. Um, another huge aspect of Southern culture, of course, is the food, right? We're, le- we're known for uh, biscuits and gravy, and grits, is, amen, and, and bacon, right? Um, in fact, I found this funny, just the other day I went into Susan's, and uh, Susan said, uh, you know, Dennis, what do you want? And I said, well, I want some uh, oatmeal and uh, blue- blueberries, you know? And she looked at me like I had COVID. Um, you know, like, what are you talking about? Uh, you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, you don't, you don't order um, oatmeal and blueberries? I'm like, well, you have it on the menu. That's beside the point. But then, um, 
But you know, she and then she looked at me and she said, "Well, well, what do you want with that? Do you want some toast and and uh, some biscuits and gravy or some some hash scattered?" And I was like, "No, just just good old-fashioned oatmeal and blueberries, right? Because in the South, we love our breakfast, we love our food, but something else is a part of Southern culture, and that's worship. You know, if you talk to the average Southerner, they'll tell you what they're a Christian." And then you start digging a little bit deep, and you say, well, you go to church, and, and perhaps they do. They go to church maybe once or twice uh, within a given month. And then you start going a little deeper, and you started asking them the question, what does it mean to worship? How do we worship? Why is worship important? Why does it matter that we come to church on Sunday and be together? Why is this so important to us? And then the answers get a little bit short because it's a struggle. You know, I have children and, and we labor, and, you, and I'm sure you do the same. You labor to teach them the importance of worship. You want them to embrace the faith that you have. And so knowing why we worship, know, knowing how to worship, knowing the priority of worship in our lives is so important because we need to teach it to the next generation, but we need to encourage ourselves. And beloved, you and I both know COVID-19 has really pressed upon us a need to have a theology of worship. Because now people are asking good questions. Can we, can we have the Lord's Supper at home when you do it, Pastor? Um, is it okay for us to not gather together because we fear getting COVID? I mean, there's all sorts of things that are pressing upon our conception of worship. And so we in the church need to have a theology of worship. We need to understand how to worship and why we worship and why worship matters. We need to understand how it is that God has called us to gather together as a people and what happens in the midst of this. These things are important. And I believe Psalm 100 actually gets us there. And so what I want to do over the next two weeks or so is I want to take a look at these seven imperatives. And they're right here. You can look at it. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Know that the Lord, he is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Those are the seven imperatives. And what I want to do is I want to take those seven and I want to show us or develop within us a theology of worship so we understand why we worship and how we worship and why worship matters. And so this morning, I want to start off with the first three in verse 1 through 2. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness come before his presence with thanksgiving. Make, serve, and come. And let's begin with the first one, very first one. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Within this very first verse, we have all sorts of questions answered about worship. First of all, the most important question, who should we worship? It's right there in the text. We worship the Lord, the triune God of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our confession tells us that he's a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all his being, full of wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. This is the God whom we have come to worship. He is the Lord, the God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
He's the Alpha and Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Beloved, that's who we have come to worship. He's the one in Isaiah when the angels saw him said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with his glory. That's who the people of God have come to worship. And notice how this particular uh, psalm is saturated with this idea that we worship the Lord. Go ahead and count how many times uh, either the proper name or the pronoun of God is used in this passage. You'll notice that it's roughly about 16 times. Over and over again, the psalmist said that we make a joyful noise unto the Lord and we serve the Lord. We come before his presence. This text is absolutely, positively saturated with God's word, uh, with, with the name of the Lord and pronouns pointing us to the Lord. Why? Because our worship is directed toward the Lord. And he's not on, our worship is not only directed toward uh, the Lord and it should be saturated with the Lord, but this is also a reminder that our lives ought to be saturated by thoughts of the Lord. That we, when we wake up in the morning, we ought to direct our thoughts toward the Lord in prayer and reading the word. That as we go through our day, we pause and think about who God is and what he's done for us. That every aspect of our lives, whether we're changing a diaper or making a meal or going for a walk, that we are constantly saturating every aspect of our life with the God of the Bible. Why? Because he alone deserves our worship, not just on Sunday, but every day of our life. So who should we worship as a people? Well, we should worship the Lord. Next, who is required to worship? Well, the psalm uh, points that out in verse number one again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. And what does it say after that? All the earth. Let's say it one more time. All the earth. All the earth are called to worship the Lord. And by the way, this is not just Christians. Non-believers are called to worship the Lord as well. Everyone, every human being is called to worship the Lord. Now everyone worships, but not everyone worships the Lord. And not everyone knows to worship the, God, the Lord. But the Bible tells us that everyone is required, required to worship the Lord. Because the psalm tells us that. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Every human being has a universal desire to worship. Calvin uh, calls this specifically the sensus divinitatis, in other words, there's this sense, this divine sense of God in all of us that leads us to worship. But the reason why man do not worship the Lord, it's, there's two reasons, really, because of obstinance and because of ignorance. Obstinance in the sense that man denies or man refuses to worship God, even though he's plainly seen, not just in his word, but in creation, Ignorance in the sense that man does not know to worship God. He does not know it, even though it is made plain to him. And one of the glories of the Holy Spirit in terms of the Holy Spirit coming is that the Holy Spirit not only reverses our obstinance, reverses our ignorance, but he makes us willing and wise to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It is because of the Holy Spirit we can come to Psalm 100 and be reminded of our need to worship the Lord. 
Notice the third question that this psalm answers. In fact, just verse 1, by the way, we haven't even left verse 1. And it's this, how should you worship the Lord? How should you do it? Well, notice at the beginning it says, make a joyful noise. Now, some of you are looking at me, Pastor Dennis, I can't sing very well. Well, join the club. Um, I'm not a good singer. In fact, um, that's one of the reasons why I'm glad they mute me, right? Um, if you were to hear me sing, you would be like, Pastor Dennis is not making a joyful noise at all. Um, I've had people tell me, well, you have such a, you know, a booming voice. How is it that you can't sing? I was like, I don't know. Ask the Lord. Um, my wife can testify. I do not sing well. Not in the shower, not in the rain, not on a train. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I just, I'm not a good singer. But if, if singing good was a prerequisite to obeying this command, then very few of us will be able to obey it correctly. And so we see in this passage that it's not talking about you being a good singer. That's not what it means by making a joyful noise. The word here is, is we ought to shout to the Lord. That we ought to give our praise to the Lord with our fullness of heart and mind. And it's almost to where the psalmist is saying that we ought to cheer the Lord when we come into his house. Uh, we see this uh, beautifully illustrated in the story of David and Goliath. Most of us know that story, right? The champion David comes and he he's looks around and everyone's cowering and he says, Is there not a cause? And so he picks up uh, his sling, and he goes out to meet um, Goliath. And as Goliath came towards him, he starts swinging uh, his, his uh, slingshot. He hits Goliath to the, in the head, and he falls down. And the Bible says that all the company of Israel, the, all the fighting men in Israel, what did they do? They began to shout. They were like, hooray, David slayed the enemy. And, and the Bible says right after these hundreds of thousands of men began to shout, they immediately charged the enemy. They immediately charged the Philistines and they set them to flight. And, and what is the Bible doing there? The Bible is saying that they shouted because of what David did. They shouted because David had delivered them from the enemy. They shouted because now they have been emboldened to go and be victorious. And beloved, in the same way, in the same way, the Bible tells us we have a champion, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he has vanquished the enemy, Satan, and he has destroyed him and chopped off his head. And then the Bible says that because of what he has done, we now have been set free from bondage, and we can shout, praise the Lord, we've been delivered, and now it's time for us to charge the enemy. This is the essence of victorious living, that we can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Why? Because we've been delivered. You've been delivered. There's nothing hindering you now. You can come into the presence of the Lord and make a joyful noise. Why? Because the King, Jesus, has destroyed our enemy. What a glorious truth that the Bible gives the Christian. Now notice the second imperative. We're called to serve the Lord with gladness. Now, the word serve there has two, uh, has two sense. In the one sense, it means an act of obedience. Incidentally, that's why we call this a worship what? Service. It's a worship service. It's an act of obedience. We come because we have been commanded to. But in the second sense, the word here for serve has the idea of to work. 
In other words, it means that worship is not a passive endeavor. You know, one of the things about modern evangelicalism that's quite disturbing is that we've made parishioners believe that they could just come to church and be blessed, that they don't have to do anything, that they can sit passively and just have an experience. But that's nowhere in Scripture. We don't come to church and just have an experience with the Lord. There is work to be done in worship. That's what, All of these words, these imperatives are action words. We are to make a joyful noise, and we are to serve the Lord with gladness, and we are to come into his presence with thanksgiving. We're not passive participants in worship. We're active participants in worship. And beloved, it's no hyperbole for me to say this, that serving the Lord with gladness is a core aspect of our, our existence and our life. And we see this in the book of Exodus. Remember, uh, Moses goes before Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. Why? So they might serve the Lord in the wilderness. Serving the Lord is important. It's the essence of the Christian faith. That's what God has called us to do. Now, notice with me as well, the Bible just doesn't say serve the Lord. What does it say? Serve the Lord with what? With gladness. With gladness. That's a part of it. Now, here's something about this text that we need to address, um, I think, automatically, and it's this. God doesn't just call us to action in terms of our physical action, but God calls us, all of us, to... um, There's an ethical concern of our heart's condition. What do I mean by that? Well, those of you that have raised children and are raising children know this to be the case. We tell our children that they have to obey happily, right? Have you ever told your kids that? I read an article recently that says, oh, you shouldn't tell your kids to obey happily, right? Because you unnecessarily bind their conscience. Well, that's, that's a good phraseology to say. The only problem is that actually runs counter to Scripture. There's a sense in which Scripture is not only concerned with the physical action, but it's concerned with the condition of the heart. That's clear throughout all this uh, particular Bible passage. It says make, it doesn't just say make a noise, but it says make the noise joyfully. It doesn't say serve the Lord. It says serve the Lord with gladness. We are to come into his presence with singing. Over and over again, God is not just concerned with the action, but he's concerned with the heart of the action. Now, some of you are looking at me, well, pastor, I often come in church and I don't feel joyous. I don't feel like serving the Lord with gladness. I don't feel as if uh, God is there. I'm not happy at all. In fact, sometimes and quite often, I feel sad and tired. What should I do? Am I being disobedient to God when I come into worship? Well, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity addresses this, and I think in a way that offers great grace to us. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, the rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets— When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. And here's the principle that C.S. Lewis is saying, that when you come in the house of the Lord, you come ready to make a joyful noise, whether you want to or not. 
You come desiring to serve the Lord with gladness, whether you do it or not. You come into his presence in, uh, with singing as if this is what the Lord has called you to do, even if you don't feel like it. Now, you're probably looking at me like, Pastor Dennis, that's disingenuous. Aren't I, aren't I just putting on airs at this point if I come in and it's not genuine? Well, C.S. Lewis tackles that. He said, listen, it's only not genuine if you come into the house of the Lord and you're doing it specifically to be seen by man. Lewis says, listen, you and I, when we come into the house of the Lord and if we pretend like we're happy and joyous and we're not actually um, happy and joyous and we're doing it to receive the praise of man, yes, that's impermissible. But he says, when you and I come into the house of the Lord, even though we don't feel like it and we make a joyful noise and we sing aloud and we serve the Lord with gladness, Lewis says that there's something that happens in that in which God is pleased, and it's called the perseverance of the saints. You're persevering even in the midst of joylessness. You're pursuing joy. That even in the midst of obeying God, there's fruit inside of that. You know, me and my wife uh, and, and our children, we planted a garden, and, and you know, I, I was expecting a certain kind of fruit from that garden, right? I was excited about getting okra. I was excited about getting um, eggplant. And instead, God gave us a bumper crop of cucumbers. And, um, you know, I don't even like cucumbers that much. I like pickles, but I don't like cucumbers. And, and every so often, the kids come running inside, like, Daddy, look, you know, and they, they come with like four or five of these huge cucumbers. And I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do with these cucumbers? Right? God has given us all sorts of fruit that maybe I don't want, but that's his blessing, that we're getting all these cucumbers. And, and there's more to come. I looked on the cucumber uh, leaf, and there's all sorts of budding uh, flowers there. So be on the lookout for one or two cucumbers, right? But, but here's the point. When we come into worship, we are looking for one type of fruit, right? Sometimes you come into worship, and you're looking for God to do this thing. You're looking for God to work this way. And God says, no, just by coming into my house, there is going to be fruit. But the question is, is your heart in tune to see it and to know what it is? So often we think and we point to God and say, God, I want you to deal with this. I, I, I get angry a lot, right? And, and, and God, I want you to deal with my anger. And then over here is this other sin. Um, over here is the sin of envy. And, and, and we're looking for God to deal with our anger, but all of a sudden we notice we're less envious and we're wondering, what's going on? God, I really, I really want you to deliver me from this sin. And over here you're experiencing fruit in a different way. And, and because you're so focused on this particular thing and you want God to show fruitfulness in this area, you miss that he's giving you fruitfulness in another area. And you know what? The fruitfulness that we have in the area that we're not expecting... Have you ever thought that that's the kind of fruit that God says is most important in your life? I've thought about that in our bumper crop of cucumbers, that maybe the Lewises need cucumbers and cucumber salad more than they need anything else. But this is the reality of coming before the Lord and worshiping and serving him, that there's blessing in that, beloved. And we do it even when we don't feel like it because there's fruit in it. And you have to trust that, that even though God, you don't see God working in the way you think he should in worship, that something is happening. Notice the last thing. It says that we ought to come 
into his presence with singing. Isn't this awesome? We ought to come into his presence with singing. By the way, this is the call to worship. This is why we have a call to worship in our liturgy. Because it's us, it's, it, it's the worship leader calling God's people to come and to worship him. And, and we might think, well, why is that so significant? Why in Reformed churches do we have a call to worship? Is it just a matter of tradition? Because that's what Reformed churches do, and if, and if you don't do it, you're not Reformed? No. Actually, that's incredibly biblical and such a grace and blessing, and here's why. Think with me in the book of Genesis. When God created the world, he created a worship sanctuary for Adam and Eve to, to live in, and it was called Eden. And they lived in there, and they, they, they worshiped the Lord. God's presence was with them. They desired to be in fellowship with the Lord. And then we come to Genesis 3, and what happens? Adam and Eve sin. And what does God do after God curt, um, levies a curse on them? The Bible says that God drove them away from the presence, from his presence in Eden. That the sanctuary that they lived in and they worshiped God in, they were no longer welcome. And just, just so they understood that they were no longer welcome, he put a, uh, an angel with a flaming sword next to the door to say that you are no longer welcome in this earthly sanctuary. And then, later on, it's not just Adam and Eve who were no longer welcome and were driven away from the presence of the Lord. It was all of us because all of us are in Adam. When Adam fell, all of us fell with Adam and, and all of Adam's seeds and progeny. These were also expelled out of the garden and away from the presence of the Lord. But beloved, when we look at verse number 2, and we see now the call to come into his presence, that those who were once afar off have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ, that no longer are we driven away from the presence of the Lord. You and I are called to come, and we're called to come as one body under Christ, that it is Christ who has delivered us, that came, lived a perfect life, died, rose again. Why? So that you can come that those who were once driven away from the presence of the Lord can now come into his presence with singing, that those who were once driven away from the presence of the Lord in sadness and in destitute state are now brought nigh and told to not just come, but to come with singing. That's the grace of the Lord that we see, that we get to come now with joy. But... The fact of the matter is, not only do we get to come, but we get to come together. And this was emphasized throughout um, our worship service today, that you and I get to participate in this grace and in this love together as one body. You know, when I saw um, several, uh, about a month plus now, when I saw the video of Derek Chauvin and George Floyd, I asked myself this question. I asked myself the question, I wonder if Chauvin would have done that to Floyd if they had worshipped together in the same church. I wonder if he would have treated him with such contempt, such disregard for his life, if they worshipped together every Sunday morning. I wonder if we would have had the same outcome you know, we know from the, all the reports that these men worked together, 
They were of the same gender. They were of the same roughly age. They lived in the same area. But none of those things were able to transcend their differences. And so I just wondered aloud, what if they had worshipped together? What if they had sung together? What if they had prayed together? Wonder, wonder what would have happened if they heard the preaching of God's word together. Wonder if they came into the presence of the Lord together. Would this have happened? I'm not a prophet, I don't know, but I'll wager to say no. Why? Because there's something special and awesome and beautiful. When the call to worship goes out and God says, Come, all ye peoples, and worship in my presence. Because when we all come, we all realize that we're sinners. And when we all come, we all recognize that we need God's grace. And no longer are we a part of a different family, but now we are part of the same family when we come before the presence of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is what we have. Come into his presence with singing. Make a joyful noise. Let us serve the Lord with gladness. This is the beauty of worship. This is the beauty of God's design for his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we indeed are called to come and we participate in this together as sinners. We participate in the call to worship together as those bought by the blood of the Lamb. We participate in worship together as ones who have the blessed hope of redemption of the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, we come together as one body, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Father of all. Father, thank you that as we come and worship, we are bearing fruit. We might not see it, and sometimes we do, but thank you that it is happening. Thank you for the mothers and fathers who brought their children. Thank you for the one that didn't feel like coming but came anyway because they have the faith in knowing that something is happening in the here and now and we could participate in that. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you now that we get to come before your presence with thanksgiving. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.